we really want to tune in and be compassionate. And when our kids have these behavior, you know, meltdowns, at first we may have to distract them in order to then get to the compassion stage and then offer them hugs and kisses and then give them like a safe space for them really just to emote. Welcome back to Whole Mamas Podcast. We're here to give you tools, resources, and evidence-based information so you can make the best decisions for yourself and your family. Whether you're trying to conceive or navigating life with a toddler or a teenager, we've got you covered. I'm Stephanie Gorinke, registered dietitian and program director for Whole30's Whole Mamas Club. And I'm Dr. Ilana Rommel, pediatric naturopathic doctor and founder of Nourish Medical Center. Today, we're going to expand on key points from last week's episode where Ilana interviewed Dr. Karen Lamb, a naturopathic doctor who specializes in working with highly sensitive individuals. Before we begin the recap, we want to thank today's partner, Bonafide Provisions, for bringing you today's episode. Bonafide Provisions makes true bone broth. That's bone broth the way our ancestors made it, using only high-quality bones that are slow-simmered for a minimum of 18 hours. The broth is then stored in the refrigerator for immediate use or in the freezer for longer storage. There's no high heat processing or preservatives to make it shelf stable. That's why you'll find their high quality broth in the freezer section of your grocery store. And that's why you'll see that their broth gels. You can tell how healing their broth is simply by looking at it when you open a thaw bag. The wiggly gel is a sign that the broth has been made correctly and is full of collagen, amino acids, and minerals. While you can make broth at home using the helpful guidelines we discussed in episodes 108 and 109, we love having an option to purchase this therapeutic food as medicine during more challenging seasons like navigating morning sickness, healing during your postpartum period, and navigating a house full of runny noses during flu seasons. All right, let's jump into the episode and start with our favorite Nourish Yourself segment. So Ilana, what did you do today to nourish yourself? Hey, Steph. Well, today was actually an interesting day, and I would love to share with you how some really big news is that I decided to wean Aviva, and so she's no longer nursing, and we don't have that same relationship anymore. And I think that the today that we're airing our, or I'm sorry, the day that we're recording our podcast is really around the time that I wean, but we're actually airing it a few weeks after this. So this news may be old news by the time we air it, but it's just such a big deal to me, Stephanie. And I didn't realize that this transition would be such like an emotional process for me. Did you have that same process and that same experience when you weaned Otto or Leo? Yeah. Well, with Otto, I actually had a little bit of depression that popped up post weaning, which is pretty common, um, especially if you have a history of depression or anxiety or you experienced it or during your postpartum. So yeah, I had a really hard time. It was a very dark couple of days post weaning. And then I realized that it was a new season for both of us and that we could bond different ways and it was okay. But yeah, it was difficult with Otto, but with Leo, I was ready for it for the most part. And I knew it was coming. So it was a different experience, but yeah, it can be really difficult. And you and Aviva had such a special bond with this and lasted almost two years. I know. And it's so interesting because I almost had this vision that I wanted it to go two years. It was like 24 months. That was the goal. And when it only lasted 22 months, I was almost hard on myself. Like, Ilana, Mm -hmm. you didn't make it to your goal. And I realized, why would I push this? Like, I knew at 22 months that I felt I was ready. I could tell she was ready. And I wanted to share a little bit about how I knew she was ready. And it has a lot to do with this episode that we talked a little bit about with Dr. Lamb was having like a little bit of a meltdown and an anger outburst that totally triggered me to realize like, okay, 
I think this is about to end. And it was an interesting experience. I was at my sister's wedding. It was such a fun time in Los Angeles. And we drove all the way out there. You know, we were tired. It was over a three-hour drive. And we get there and we're like ready to enjoy the wedding. And all Aviva wanted was to nurse. She was pulling at my dress. She was just having these like episodes of like total tantrums that I was never used to with her. I'm like, who is this child? What is she doing? She's literally on the ground, like banging her hands, crying. Mm. She only wanted my boob. And I'm like, Aviva, we are at a wedding. Like you are not nursing right now. And in that moment, I realized the benefits of her getting my breast milk and the negative impacts on her behavior like this no longer like outweighed each other. It was like there wasn't enough benefit in me nursing for her to have these kind of negative behavior situations. And I just started realizing, like, I think this may be time. And once I made that decision and we just started the transition, she transitioned so smoothly, Steph. I was so surprised and really, really like impressed with how well she transitioned off of the, the routine. And now every time she wants to nurse, I just say, oh, you're hungry. You must be hungry. Let's go get some food. And then I feed her and she's totally fine. So it was a really great way that she communicated to me. And, I, and I'm, I'm really happy and I feel really good about it. You know, it sounds like you are both ready for that decision. And even though it doesn't look like it from how much she needed that connection and that nursing, she also sounds like she needed to find another way to cope with the feelings that she had. And nursing is great. And it's definitely a way to relax both you and baby. But if it's not working for you, if you're feeling resentful for doing it, if she's having a hard time figuring out what's going on with her internally or what she needs, then yeah, I think you hit it on the head that it was the perfect time. And that's why you both are doing so great with this transition. Thanks. And it's interesting because we talked a lot about that with Dr. Lamb about that. When kids are just having these like outbursts and these tantrums, it, they're just trying to figure out what they need. And it's up to us moms and dads and just parents and caregivers to provide these kids what they need. And I felt like her going to my boob to nurse, it was just like the only resource she had. And I wanted to expand that for her. And I just knew it in that moment that it was time, but I didn't, I didn't feel like it was time at 19 months or 20 months or even 21 months. I knew in my gut, it wasn't time. And right when she turned 22 months, it was like, my gut told me like it is time. And I'm so glad, like it's totally worked out. Things are going so well. And in all honesty, Steph, I'm just, I'm ready to possibly start having a second baby and start trying. And so this transition is going to help me open up space for that. And maybe in the new year when we're ready for that. Yeah, it sounds like this was great for both of you because you don't like being in that messy middle where you don't really know if you want to keep weaning or nursing, but you're not quite ready to wean. And so mm -hmm. we, we talked about that this weekend when we got together is like you are a decision maker and this is probably a very uncomfortable place for you not really being able to make that decision until just now. Well, because it, it wasn't planned, right? Because yeah. I'm such a planner. I was like, oh, at 24 months, I'm going to yeah. go, you know, I'm going to do this and then we're going to do this. And then after my sister's wedding, I said to Anthony, I was like, all right, I think it's time. He goes, really? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to start it today. And he's like, oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, I can keep on going on. Yeah. I'm so sorry to take up so much no, time. But I, can you tell me, Steph, what nourished you? Because I felt like that was such a nourishing practice for me to share. I hope a lot of other moms can relate. But what, what did you do to nourish yourself today? 
Well, I'm going to keep it on the same theme as what you were talking about with Aviva and something that kind of triggered you was Otto, uh, he, knock on wood, they have been really healthy so far this season. And I mean, it's been a couple of months since they have gotten sick, which is huge, especially for the moms that can relate with kids in daycare. Um, There's always like a sniffler or a cough going around. So I was really excited that we entered this cold and flu season very healthy, and we've been keeping a strong immune system. But all of a sudden, Otto started coughing last night. He was fine all day, and then he started coughing. And I don't know if this is true. This is kind of something that I've thought of or theorized is that he's a very highly sensitive individual and something little like nasal post-nasal drip hitting his throat or him feeling a little bit of an itch makes him cough pretty violently. Uh, And I feel like it's almost more exaggerated than it needs to be. Just that's his personality and it's been that way from the start. So he started coughing last night and it sounds may sound really strange to some people and other people may get it, but that coughing, coughing just triggers me in a way. And I think it could be that he had pneumonia at one point. And so anytime he starts coughing like that, I think, oh my gosh, he's going to get pneumonia. And I start catastrophizing the situation and making it out to be something that it's not always going to be. Oftentimes the next night he's totally fine and he's over it, but I was triggered by it. And instead of not getting sleep and thinking about that and feeling anxious all night about this constant coughing, I called in my husband for reinforcement. I said, babe, look, you had your surgery. You haven't been able to really help out too much around the house because you can't lift or clean or do dishes, but you can sleep. So can you lay here with him and make sure that he's okay? And he, when he's sick, he wants to be with people. So I had my husband help with that so I could get a couple of hours of sleep because I knew I was going to be recording two back-to-back podcasts with you today. I'm really proud of you, Steph. I know that's tough. And, and, and I'm really proud of how you handled that. Thank you. Yeah, it is. It's so hard for me to ask for help because I want to just, you know, I understand he needs to recover and all of that, but I also know that I need sleep too and my needs need to get met um, at some point. (laughs) Didn't that feel so good? It did. It did. I felt the resentment building and I even felt, I even visualized how that next morning was going to be. And I saw myself being really angry and resentful and short with the whole family. And after And that kind of helped me make the call to ask for help, right? Because I didn't want to be that version of myself the next day. Great. And how did Brian show up to your request? I make it sound like he doesn't help, but it's more of a matter of me asking for help, Mm -hmm. right? He really, truly wants to help and be there. But I am the one that is kind of the stick in the mud with asking for help. And I just um, don't allow him to. And so he was open to it and he slept with him and it was great. Yeah, he, he definitely pitched in. Excellent. And I think that's why I ask is, yeah. is oftentimes our husbands want to help. Yeah. Like they're so happy when we're happy. It's up to us to then request that need so that they have something to fulfill on. So I'm so happy you did that, Steph. And I surely hope that you continue to practice that more and more and that our listeners get inspired to do the same thing. I hope so too. That's why I share, you know, it's not something that I just want to share because it's fun for me to share. It's really to help you understand that you can get your needs met too. It's a matter of asking and really identifying that that need is there. Yep. You got it. We're all going through this together. We're moms just like our listeners are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great. All right. On to the episode. I loved our Nourish Yourself segment today because it really hits on a lot of the points that we want to discuss on the recap. And, 
Ilana, I really enjoyed listening to this episode. As I told you on a text message conversation we had, I think it's one of my top five podcasts that we have for home mamas. And that may be because I needed to hear this information so much. Right now, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old boy, two toddlers, and they're going through a lot developmentally and they're pushing buttons and they're figuring out what they can and can't get away with. And so I really loved hearing how the techniques that she explained and ways to approach the situation. And one of the things that she mentioned is that there's a spectrum when it comes to being a highly sensitive person and that it can be passed through generations. But the good news that she stated was that it can be modified through epigenetic influences. And I'm curious, you work with kids a lot in your practice. How often are you seeing adults come into your practice concerned about their child's behavior? And then if you do see it often, what are some of the ways that you navigate it? Mm, Good question. And I'm so glad you enjoyed the episode. I did too. I thought Dr. Lamb was just wonderful. So to answer this specific question, I do see behavioral concerns. I would say the most common ones are anxiety. Uh, So, you know, sleep disturbances, they wake up with terrors, or they're just like highly anxious kids. And the, and the parents are like, just worried. They're like, this is just a little bit more than I would feel is normal. And they're concerned. Or I also see kids with ADD, ADHD, or on the autistic spectrum. And so their behavioral issues are more about, you know, poor attention or, you know, the eye contact isn't there. So it really, it, it ranges on what kind of behavioral disorders there are. A number of things that I look into with any of these type of symptoms with these kids, I ask the parents a lot. The first thing is what what they're eating, right? I mean, of course, we all agree with that is low blood sugar can really, really trigger these um, any type of behavioral issues, whether it's anxiety, depression, poor focus. So that's the number one first thing. The second thing I really ask them is about their home life, their school life, what the interactions with other siblings or friends, you know, you want to understand their day to day and what that looks like and what maybe can contribute to these behaviors. And the third thing I really ask is about any other concomitant symptoms. For example, maybe there's an imbalance in their gut and it's and they're uncomfortable, or maybe the kid is having headaches. I mean, oftentimes I see in my practice when there's an unhappy kid, it's often because they're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so I always want to know what other physical processes are occurring to potentially manifest in an emotional imbalance, right? Because our behaviors can oftentimes uh, correlate with that. So I'm obviously digging deep into that. And then really, I would say one of the main things I really observe, I don't necessarily ask, but I observe is just the parents' behaviors. And I loved how Karen talked about the coupling of the nervous system and how the parents' nervous system really does couple with the kid's nervous system. So when we're anxious or when we're irritable or angry, our our kids can really model after that and really tune into it and then can have those same type of emotions. And so I just really tune into what the parents are experiencing and how they're talking to me and the kind of questions they're asking and how they're reacting to some of the questions I ask them. And then that gives me a little bit of insight into perhaps some of the reason why maybe a child may have some of the anxiety is, could it be due to how the parents may be acting? So I'm looking at a lot of these kind of things when I treat kids with uh, some type of emotional imbalances. And the main therapies that I use beyond, I would say, talk therapy, whether they're seeing a therapist or I help them guide through certain situations is 
Um, a lot of herbs are very calming to the nervous system, but by far my magical little tool that I have, or I shouldn't say little tool, it's a huge tool, <laughs> is homeopathy. I find in my practice, my um, homeopathic remedies are by far the quickest to act for emotional disturbances and just the most effective in long-term sustainability. So that's kind of how I go about it in my practice, but um, there are so many great tools that we have. And I, I really love um, helping both parents and kids with these kind of issues and symptoms. You know, and I love that answer so much. And part of the reason I love it is because you're giving the kid the benefit of the doubt that they are trying their very best to be to navigate what's going on in their life. And there's a lot of stimulus that's being directed at them. And we, you know, sometimes it's easy to point the finger of like, oh, they're just they're having a tantrum and there's no reason and kind of blaming the kid versus looking at what are the inputs that are going on. Like you said, what is happening at school? What are they eating? What are they breathing? What are they putting on their skin? What is the energy in the, in the environment is so important um, because with that information, then it makes us feel more empowered that we can help them through this difficult time. Oh my goodness. I can't agree with you more on that. A absolutely. And in fact, Karen mentioned something very specific. She says that even through when their kids have these tantrums or, or when they're going through these meltdowns, it may not make sense to us as parents, but the frustration for them is real, right? I mean, yeah. it, they are absolutely experiencing this. And I just think that that statement is really powerful. And I think that we should really, I don't know, highlight that because it is so true for them. And we want to be there for them. We want to connect with them and we want to really help get our kids what they need through that. How would you say that statement plays out specifically with your kids? Uh, can you maybe give us some insight into what you do with your kids, Steph? Yeah, this is something you know, I pride myself on being in very empathetic to what other people are going through. And this is something that's come pretty easily to me, but it is something that we've had to work at, you know, as parents with my husband to really understand that them throwing a tantrum on the ground because they don't get to watch a specific show or they don't get to eat something or they don't want to go to bed. It has a lot to do with them feeling um, a lack of power or a lack of autonomy or them needing something else. And I'll give an example because I feel like that helps reel this concept all in. So our kids go to daycare and they're there for a quite they're there for a full day and they are not watching TV at all. They are constantly moving and playing and being around other kids. And there is so much in their environment. And so when they come home, one of the things that they want to do is zone out, right? Just like we as adults, we go to work or we engage with a lot of people and then we kind of want to go introverted and we want to just watch TV and relax. And I saw this trend happening with my kids where they came home from school and they were just, Leo was super into watching Blippi and he would just scream for Blippi. And if we didn't turn Blippi, this TV show on, he would just freak out and have a tantrum. And Otto too, he wanted to come in and, and just watch TV. And when you look at it, you're like, wow, they're throwing a tantrum. This doesn't make sense. Like, why is he needing to watch TV so much? 
And I step back and I realize it's not about the TV at all. It's about the fact that they need connection and they need to zone out a little bit and they need to unwind from that day. And so instead of getting frustrated with the behavior, we put ourselves in their shoes and said, okay, what other thing besides watching TV could we do? So they're not being stimulated again, even though they are kind of zoning out. Um, to calm them down, to get them back into parasympathetic, and then we can have a more relaxing dinner. And so one of the things we've done is after school, we go for a walk. I push Leo in the stroller. Otto holds my hand. We go for a group walk. We kind of wind down from the day, talk about what's going on. And then I found that dinner time is way more enjoyable because they're in a better state. They're able to digest their food better, and we're not resorting to going to the TV as their coping mechanism to wind down. Great. That's great. You tuned into what they needed and you noticed that there was something going on. And for them, again, it's real for them. You know, there, there's something there and now you've really transitioned them out. After doing that for a number of weeks or so, are you noticing that the transition is so much easier? Oh yeah. Well, at first they would battle me on going outside and going for a walk, right? Because oh, that was interesting. their, yeah, that was their norm. They're like, oh, well, like this is what we do to cope. Kind of like with Aviva, I nurse when I am uncomfortable mm-hmm. or overstimulated. And it's kind of, you know, with emotional eating as adults too, right? Like that's our go-to. If we have a stressful day, we'll go and eat a bunch of sugar. Or if we are underslept, we'll eat a bunch of sugar. So it, it does, it's a huge behavioral change. And really getting down to the level of feeling what they're feeling and understanding that we're dictating so much of what they're doing all the time. You know, I try to limit the amount of times I say no, unless I think that they're going to get hurt or what they're doing is unsafe or unhelpful, or they're going to hurt somebody else. I -hmm. try to just let them do it. Right. Even if it makes no sense to me, I'm like, I got to really make sure that my no's are very powerful and they're able to learn for themselves what is going to happen. So taking a step back. Yeah. Great. Okay. I love that. Thanks for giving that example. That's very helpful. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit about body language and making sure that how we're non-verbally communicating with them helps them non-verbally communicate with us the way that is, you know, more calm and receptive to what we're saying and things like taking deep breaths and lowering our shoulders, using a calm voice and responding versus reacting are some of the ways that we can do that. And you are so good at this. I am blown away. I was so curious to see how you're going to be as a mom, knowing you as a friend, because you are just so calm and you're able to not impulsively react to something. You're able to think through what's going on in just such a calm manner. And I've never seen anybody do it like you. And you've been able to carry that on so beautifully into motherhood. So I'm curious, you know, as we talked about that, it can be passed on through generations. Is this something that you saw your mom do? Is it your natural tendency to stay calm? Or do you feel like you've had to put a lot of practice into this? Hmm, Well, Thank you so much for that acknowledgement. That really means a lot to me. And I'll tell you why it means even more than you think is it's actually because I didn't have that modeled as a child. And it wasn't necessarily the fault of my parents, but you know, I want to remind you and the listeners that when I was young, I lost my brother suddenly. And that tragedy in my life completely changed the demeanor of my parents. And I get the chills. I mean, it, Mm -hmm. it's just, I think the biggest impact my brother's passing had 
on my life was actually that the day I lost my brother was really the same day I lost my parents. Mm. I mean, they went from like these like joyful, happy, carefree, you know, people to ones of, of fear, you know, and overwhelming of sadness and grief. And it really put them in a very heightened stress state. And, and understandably losing a child, I can't even imagine the impact on them. And so for many years, and this was during my childhood, I was nine years old at the time. So between nine years old to the time I went to college, my parents were still processing. I mean, they still do today. And so I would say that I grew up in a family of parents who were much more reactive and stressed out and somewhat of yellers, especially my mom during that time. She has come total full circle. She is like just such a pleasure to be with. We have a great relationship now. And it was very stressful when I was younger, unfortunately, mostly because she wasn't happy. She was really depressed. And so her behavior was modeling those emotions. So when you give me the acknowledgement of staying calm and cool during any type of stressful times, a lot of it was because I was very much motivated to be what my mom was not. And I, and I don't want to say that because I really have the utmost respect for my mother. And during this time in that tragedy, she really had a hard time processing her emotions and expressing herself. And she did her very, very best. But I, I got an impact from that. You know, there were a lot of stressful days of yelling and, and just reacting to even like the smallest little things or being very fearful of things that I would do because she didn't want to lose another child. But that heightened fear was really like impacting me. It was like, mom, just calm down. Like everything's fine. And can you just not stress out about the little things? And so I kind of, I remember that a lot as a child. And I remember that when it was my turn to be a mom, I didn't want to be that way. And that was really motivating to me. And so I really like I prized myself on that. Like one of the things that I remember my mom being really anxious about and, and really stressed out about was in the kitchen and cooking for a lot of people or if we're going to have a lot of guests. And so every time I would go in the kitchen, even today, I always am in the kitchen and I take a deep breath and I'm like, okay, this is going to be fun. This is going to be calming. This is going to be stress-free. And I always like practice pushing myself to be like, how can I be stress-free in the kitchen? Because I know that it's, it's not always that way for people and it wasn't that way for my mom. So that was just an example of what I do to help rewire and how I've come to be who I am. But it definitely took a lot of work, a lot of practice. And, and thank you for recognizing that because that means that I'm doing a pretty good job in my goals. You are. And I think that point is so important to get across because I think sometimes we can take it personally or even have more guilt when we hear things like how you are acting and your nonverbals impact your kids. Because if you are in the thick of it and you are doing your best and you're practicing, but you still sometimes yell or you still sometimes act, react instead of respond or you're impulsive with what you say or do, it can feel disheartening, like, oh, no, like I really ha am having an impact on my kids. But you are able to learn from that and then learn different ways to cope and learn how important it is to calm down and respond versus react. Same thing with me. You know, I was brought up in a very anxious environment. My mom was a huge worrier. And that's something that I've had to personally work through too. And I'm still practicing it. And it really is, it's much harder for me 
then, you know, I think it is you know, for you or other people. You just do it so easily, it seems. But it, it's not a lost cause if you relate to this. There is so many things that you can keep working through. And your children understand that you're practicing, right? That you can say, I'm sorry, and they will understand that you're doing your best. Mm, absolutely. And I just want to add to this point is, I think specifically, even in this story that I share with my mom in particular is now as an adult, I was able to look back and have a lot of compassion for her instead of making her wrong for being what I remember as like the yeller and the stressed out mom. I was able then to really realize that, wow, she was yelling and she was stressed out because she was so sad and she was processing my brother's death and she was processing all the changes that were occurring. And that's why she was the way she was. And I know she was doing the best job she could because she just loves us unconditionally. And once I was able to kind of forgive her and give her permission to be the way she was, it allowed me to also give permission and grace to all the other moms and all the other people out there that sometimes just have a day, you know, they're having a hard day. And, you know, it's a simple thing where someone, I don't know, has road rage and you just think to yourself, man, that person's having a really tough day. I hope that they have a better day. And you just like move through it like that. But that, I think that really helps me work with people that have difficulties and have these kind of symptoms, because I see these symptoms of as just uh, like a side effect of really what the root cause truly is. And if we could just get really curious and figure out what that deep down cause is that's triggering these emotions, then we can have compassion. And that's a big thing that we do with our kids. I mean, this is what Dr. Lamb was talking about very often is that we really want to tune in and be compassionate. And when our kids have these behavior, you know, meltdowns, at first we may have to distract them in order to then get to the compassion stage and then offer them hugs and kisses and then give them like a safe space for them really just to emote, you know, to have their emotions and to work through it. And I think that's so wise, you know, sometimes we need to have that, like shake things up and then really move into the compassion stage. But that's what's helped me really connect with a lot of people is through that empathy and the compassion, just getting really curious to see what is it that's causing it. Now, I'm kind of curious from you, Steph, is like, what do you think about specifically with kids? What Karen was saying about first distract and then move into compassion. What are your thoughts a little bit about that process? I think it boils down to the kid and more specifically the age of the kid. So, for example, with Leo, who's two, sometimes the compassion works. Like sometimes if he doesn't get what he wants, I'll be like, Leo, do you want a hug? I'll offer it to him and he'll come and then I'll shake it off and move on. But that often doesn't happen until, you know, at least two or beyond because they aren't able to think their brain isn't wired that way to think about what is logically happening in this situation. Whereas with Otto, you know, he's four now and I'm able to explain to him like, yeah, that was frustrating, wasn't it? Do you want to come give me a hug or do you want to go for a walk with me or let's talk about what we want to do together in our special time or you come at it with more compassion than distracting him. But, you know, for a little kid who's playing with a toy and then somebody grabs a toy, a hug probably isn't going to solve it right away. They are just very angry and distracting, I think can be so effective in that situation. Mm. I'm glad that you agreed with that. Cause I think every time she said, distract, 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 I was like, 
but don't you want to love on them? You know? And she goes, no, yeah. but you're always following it with that. Right. Yeah. And it's true. I think you're right with the different ages you have to kind of assume and different personalities, you know, it just depends on what works and what doesn't. So I think that's really great. I'm glad you gave those examples. Yeah. And also, you know, even with Otto being four, if it's at the end of a day and he is just, you know, he had his limit of stimulation and he's having a hard time controlling his behavior compared to the beginning of the day, that might be a time where I distract him. So if we're at a park somewhere and he's just having a really hard time with me telling him like, oh, let's do something else or fighting with another kid, then that might be a period where I distract him first versus giving mm. the compassion, right? I pull him to the side and I say, hey, Otto, you know, come over here for a little bit. And we have a talk and I calm him down that way versus running into him playing with a bunch of kids and giving him a hug. You know, it. sometimes you do need to pull him away and take a couple of breaths and reframe what's going on and get into more of a parasympathetic place because they have a hard time when they're younger calming themselves down. I mean, even as adults, we have a hard time if somebody is cutting in front of us in traffic. It takes sometimes a lot of practice to get like, okay, I'm coming to a place of compassion with you. Maybe there's something going on with your kid, you know? Um, so it really just depends on the situation. Mm, perfect. Okay. That makes total sense. Yeah. And along those lines, she also mentioned that sometimes that frustration can stem from the fact that kids don't have the right words, right? So maybe it's not the time of day or the environment or the age, it's the fact that they're not able to fully tell us what they need. And she provided two definitions that I thought were really important. She said that behavior is a form of communication and that their tantrum is their way of expressing an unmet need. And you talked on previous episodes about Aviva having, you know, really trying to figure out her language and you're working with her with a speech therapist, but have you seen her act out because she's unable to get the right words out or communicate with you? Or have you been able to read each other's signals, maybe sign language or just being able to spend that present time with each other so you can understand her cues without the words? Yeah. Thanks. I, I think I am able to figure it out, which is nice. And I could tell based on the fact she's luckily not having a ton of tantrums at this point, which is really nice, but I can see it starting to come. She usually expresses it mostly by hitting or pinching. Okay. okay. And so those are very quick though, right? Cause I yeah. can tell she hits and you're like, Oh, she's not getting something she wants or she needs or, and then I could tell Then she, she really can transition it pretty quick. Cause then I realized I really need to get eye contact and I need to get present with her because she's doing it because she's not getting something. And so I have to kind of really start thinking, right? Like my brain is like, okay, is she hungry? Does she have a poop, you know, or is she just, she, she wants to draw all over the wall and I'm not going to let her. Right. I mean, there could be needs that are obviously something like, okay, I need to feed her. Or there could be something that she wants that I will just not allow. And then she hits me because of it, you know, or she has like a temper about it. And I just say, well, we're not allowed to do that. And then I just distract her and say, let's take the pen and go onto the paper. Then she gets excited again. So it all depends, but I actually think I'm, I'm fairly fortunate in that I can, I can navigate what she needs, even though she doesn't have a lot of words at all. She does a little bit of signs that help, but I think it's just, I know her so well. I usually could tell what she wants and sometimes I can't. And then that just means she whines, she cries or she like yells, like she'll just 
not less like yelling, but she'll just like raise her voice and say like more, more, but like yell it, you know, because I'm not hearing, like she's not getting what she needs. So, you know, we're just navigating that. We're figuring it out. But I do agree. And I loved how Karen did say that behavior is a form of communication because it is true, especially when we're limited without language. But then I loved how she even said, even when kids do have language, that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean they know what they need or they know how to communicate. And I thought that was so brilliant. She's like, you can't just expect this two, three-year-old, even though they have words and they have a lot of words to even be able to express what they need. So don't even consider that just because they have that, it means that everything is going to be perfect. So that was a big takeaway for me. That is a big takeaway. And I I keep relating it to adults because kids are just little adults. And we're the same way, too. If we're having a hard day, sometimes we have the best language. Maybe we speak multiple languages. And it's hard for us to understand why we are feeling the way we are feeling. Why are we angry? Why are we mad? Why are we feeling resentful? What makes us happy? I mean, a lot of times I'll be working with moms and I'm like, well, what do you like to do? What are your hobbies? And they just don't know, right? So you're spot on that. It really, words are important, but to a certain degree. And Mm -hmm. it's about being present and being that detective to figure out what's going on to really meet that unmet need. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, if you don't mind me wrapping back around to when I was talking about uh, weaning Aviva and we were, you know, at the wedding and she was throwing this big, you know, tantrum. Now looking back at it, I actually think she was really hungry. Like she's going through a big growth spurt right Mm -hmm. now. And now that I've weaned her, man, she is eating so much more food. Like I look at her and I'm just like amazed. Like, wow, this is literally double or triple the quantity. Now, of course, she's no longer having breast milk. So she's making up for that as well. But I actually think in that moment, looking back, I think she was so hungry that that's why she really wanted to nurse. And I didn't even realize that she needed more food. And I didn't realize that if I just gave her food, I bet she would have been totally fine. And I could have kept her at the wedding the whole night. But instead, she threw such a big tantrum. I unfortunately sent her upstairs with my mother-in-law and she missed most of the wedding. And then my mother-in-law later in the night says she ate so much of her dinner. Like she had almost like a whole serving of an adult size dinner. And I'm like, she never does that. And my mother-in-law was like, I know she never does that. And then I realized, I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, she threw this tantrum and I took it as she just wanted to nurse. And really, poor kid. She was just hungry, you know, and she was trying to tell me she needed to eat. And every time I denied her, you know, milk, she was essentially like, well, I'm going to throw a tantrum and tell you this is what I need and I'm not getting it. And so I felt so bad (laughs) at the end, but you know, this is how we learn and this is how we kind of navigate parenthood. And now we know, but I just wanted to kind of mention that because those behaviors definitely, definitely are signs that they're getting, they're not getting something that they need. And we as parents just kind of have to figure it out with or without language. Yeah, it could be that. And I think also the breastfeeding relationship is so interesting where You know, it could have been she was nursing more because she was around a bunch of people and maybe she Mm -hmm. was coping with something emotional that was going on. It could have been hunger. It could also be like it's so interesting to me with nursing that they sometimes want to keep your milk supply up. And so she was doing everything that she could to make sure that she was latching on and that your hormones were conducive to continuing that relationship or that so that she had milk so that she could eat. It's just so interesting Um, that whole setup, you know, it could have been a number of things. And that's why it's really important that we don't feel bad about it, right? Like we don't blame ourselves or feel bad, like, oh, you know, she was hungry, Um, but just get curious. 
Oh, totally. And it's actually funny. I joke with my husband and I say, I think she just wants to keep on nursing so we don't have another child. So yeah. she gets all the attention. It could be. It could <laughs> be. Because I'll be like, Aviva, do you want a brother or sister? And she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Aviva, do you want a brother or sister? And she started getting to the point where she goes, yes. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's do this. That means no more milkies. And I actually had a conversation with her for a number of weeks prior because I thought we were going to wean at 24 months. So I was getting her ready. I said, Okay, Aviva, one day we're not going to have milkies anymore. Today we're going to have it, but soon enough, there's not going to be any more. And so I would just talk to her like that. I'm like, just going to let you know, soon enough, there's not going to be any more. And I think she just kind of got it. Mm. You know, like I like prepped her for it. And so she kind of just like, she knew it was coming. So anyway, just to share that little tidbit. But I do have one more question for you because I thought it was really cute how Karen brought up something that I just started doing and I'm so excited. But (laughs) she mentioned a man named Daniel Tiger. Never heard of him before. So I hope, I don't know if I was the only one, but I, it was new for me. It may be new to some listeners, but I ended up downloading his CD called big feelings. And I loved it. Like, I love it. I think it's so cute. And I'm curious if you ever do that with your boys or have you even, have you heard of Daniel Tiger? Do you know anything about him? What your experience is with him? (laughs) So I'm laughing because Daniel Tiger is actually a cartoon character. He's a tiger and his, yeah, you probably, you're hearing, you're hearing the voice of Daniel Tiger, but yeah, it's a really cute TV show. And I don't know the exact connection, but it is modeled after Mr. Rogers neighborhood. And I absolutely love this show. My kids will go on and off with watching it, but I try to make them more on than off with watching it because I love the concepts that they introduce. And there's something really special about music. And this is why ABCs are really like pretty easy for kids to learn because they have that song with it. Um, you can They remember melodies and lullabies because there's music attached to it. And I feel like they do subconsciously pick up on the principles because of that music associated with it. One, There's a couple of songs that my kids have picked up on and they use it when they're navigating difficult situations. And one of them is parents always come back. So you'll always, you'll hear that one probably on the album. And that was one thing that we started playing for Otto when he started going to daycare or with babysitters or even sleeping on his own at night helping them understand that we're not going away forever and that we will always come back and it'll be great. Um, And then sharing, like sharing is caring. Uh, That one is something that we play. And there's the other one that we play quite a bit is about um, when something seems bad, turn it around and find something good. And that can help with tantrums too. And that's just a really cute song. I love playing them. And like she said, you know, you don't have to have it on the TV. If you are against watching TV, you can have it playing on a soundtrack in the background as you are hanging out with your kids or cooking or whatever it is. But yeah, I highly recommend it. And we love it and use it in our house. I'm so glad you knew who that was. I totally yeah. had no idea. <laughs> it's so great. Definitely check saying, it out. I was like, maybe Aviva's too young, but she's not. Like, this is great. So, I, And I do. The, the music's catchy. It's fun. And I'm just curious if you do what Dr. Lamb mentioned, that you actually play it even during times that everything is great and happy because you want to you want them to have an association that these are fun and happy songs so that when they do have a meltdown or a tantrum, then you could just turn it on and they can associate that with being happy. So do you just keep it on throughout the day? Is that how you utilize it? 
I do it when I remember it. If we are driving somewhere or if we are, like we played puzzles this weekend. That's one of Otto's new favorite things is to put together puzzles. And I had that going on in the background while we were playing puzzles. And they just watch it on TV on occasion whenever they want to. So it's not something that we actually turn on when they are having negative experiences. We have it on mostly during happy experiences. Oh, interesting. Well, I guess you can always try it during a negative experience. Yeah, we could. But (laughs) I also want to, I want to try the cold. Yeah. Yeah, The gel pack. Wasn't that so brilliant? Mm -hmm. I know, you know, that was the first time I've actually really learned about that. And it makes so much sense physiologically. And I want to start recommending it to even adults with panic attacks or children. And I loved her ideas, like just put it in the fridge and have them go and get it so they can start and pick a color, pick a color. (laughs) Like I just thought that was such a great, brilliant idea. So yes, definitely. I'm glad you brought that up before we ended today's episode. I just think the whole point is there are so many different tools we can use and there are so many different ways and ideas and every kid's a little different, but what can we do to help them either distract them and then help calm their nervous system or just help regulate their nervous system using either, it could be herbs or medicines, or it could be a gel pack, or it could be a fun song, or it could be a fun game. And actually, in fact, this is a perfect time to tell you this. You know, our partners, Bonafide Provisions, you know how their bone broth, they, it gels, right? Because that's where you mm-hmm. get the medicinal. Okay, here's an example. Aviva thinks it is like the funniest thing. Like every time I take it out and I like jiggle it, she cracks up. And so the other day <laughs> she was like kind of in like a weird negative mood, which is rare for her, but she was just kind of like in a grumpy mood. And I took out the bone broth and I just you like wiggled it. <laughs> and she just like started giggling. And you know that like baby giggle? It's just yeah. so cute. And just kept on jiggling it. Yeah. So it's like, you could just choose anything, you know, like anything can work to just like kind of like snap your kids out of it. And I think adults, we need that same thing. Sometimes we just need to be like snapped out of our mood to transition into a better mood. So I thought that was fun. And I I, want to thank Bonafide Provisions for that because it's so much fun to see all of those like fun little we can make games with like anything, but I just thought that jiggling was a really fun or game. Or fart noises if you have boys too. Totally. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I don't have a boy yet. I hope maybe one day, but that's yeah. so funny. I've got a adult boy husband. Oh yeah. He is like a little that. boy. Yep. <laughs> that's great. Actually, this is a great opportunity. I would love to remind our listeners of the gelling competition or the contest that we've got going. So Bonafide Provisions wants to send them a free bag of broth if they decide that they want to do this gelling competition, which I think is so much fun. So all you have to do is snap a picture of your thawed bag of broth with the beautiful wiggly gel that you'll see. And every pack has that. You'll just take a picture and you'll either put it on your Instagram story or just take a picture and post it on your board. Tag at Whole Mama's Club or Bonafide Provisions, or actually maybe tag both of them. And then also do a hashtag. It's really cute called Tis the season to be jelly. <laughs> and jelly spelt with a G. Tis the season to be jelly. And then if you do that, Bonafide Provisions is going to send you a free bag of broth. That's an awesome deal. I mean, all you have to do is take a picture or put it on your store. I think that's so generous of them. Also remember, you can buy Bonafide Provisions online and have your broth sent straight to your door. Listeners, you get 20% off your first order. Use code WHOLEMAMAS. Otherwise, you can find uh, Bonafide Provisions in the freezer section at a lot of stores. They're in Walmart, Publix, Sprouts, Wegmans, 
and Whole Foods. So they're really in a lot of stores. They're just doing such great things. Um, so we wanted to just remind you about that jelly contest that's going on or giveaway. I mean, I just think that's so much fun. Well, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by sharing our podcast with your mama friends and writing us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you enjoyed about this episode and help us grow our village. This week's favorite review was by one of our long-term listeners. She wrote, The Whole Mamas podcast is one of the greatest resources I found this year. They say it's guided towards moms, but I found it's amazing source of information for everyone. I'm so appreciative of the information and education they share, and especially of the thoughtfulness that they put into choosing their guests. Definitely my favorite podcast out there. Thank you so much. We love reading every single review. Now, you can also visit our website at homemamasclub.com slash podcast to review show notes, find past episodes, and leave comments and questions for future shows. Please remember that the views on this podcast are not meant to be substituted for medical advice, shouldn't be used to diagnose, treat, or cure any conditions, and are intended for general information purposes only. Now go on, have a good day, and nourish and nurture yourself and your family.